This is the show. We had a request from Discord to do something a bit more on the technical side of songwriting, which I was more than happy to do because I had a couple of songs I was thinking of recently that I've heard that just blew me away. I wanted to go back to that original thing on this show where we just talk about the songs that we love. But equally, I want to keep talking about some of the lessons I've learned from the sessions I've had with my clients because so often... I am learning how to do my job better when I come into contact with problems that people have. So I want to go through some of the clients and I think really interesting, very practical things. That's why I'm sharing them. These are technical songwriting solutions, if you will. But again, thank you for Discord for kind of shouting out because I wasn't sure if it was more about, okay, let's talk more about the updates, some of the trips, the writing trips that I'm doing, some of the things I'm planning, or do we want to go right back to the roots and look at those really nerdy, really intricate songwriting technique things. So today we should be doing that. And again, if you want to join the Discord, you can find the link in this very show and you can jump in with some very cool, very calm, very kind people while that community grows. So today is going to be a mixture of, well, I'm just going to take this first bit to talk about a song that I absolutely love. So recently I was in the UK and I was looking for something to listen to because I was back home in the countryside and there's this song, Sam Hunt, has it's about going home to the country so i always listen to that one but then a new song came up my cousin alistair told me hey there's a new sam hunt song i was like what so this it was my experience of this song i was driving home through the countryside like near stonehenge if any of you guys want to google the area it's it's beautiful it's green and i had all these i had a million things flying through my head um from the work i've been doing from the things i'm trying to plan from again some of the things that didn't go right that i really want to work on And then this song came on. So the song is called Came the Closest, produced by Zach Crowell as well, because Zach is amazing. He's done all of the best stuff I think that Sam Hunt's done. And Shane McAnally also comes in to write some amazing things. But the song is Came the Closest by Sam Hunt. And I'm really, really thankful that um, this was shouted out in Discord because I want to get back to the things that I love talking about. And it's just being a massive songwriting nerd. So this is going to be a free-flowing episode in all respects, but I'm going to make sure I'm honing really hard in on practical things for songwriters because I'm aware some of you guys are writing songs all the time. You're taking on projects, you're learning how to do better, but you're also going and testing them live. So I'm going to make sure this is also practical because we've got so many big guests that are really great and they're coming up, but I want to make sure we're still serving that practical promise so that hopefully you just pause this episode and just go and write a tune. That would make me incredibly happy. That would make all of us very happy um, here at the podcast. So the first verse I heard was, I cut my hair off, I wore a tie, woke up at seven, came home at five. I was like, damn, okay, what is he talking about here? Again, I'm driving. This is my experience as I'm driving, as I'm listening to it. I'm going, okay, cool. I know it's a theatrical thing. So I know Sam Hunt is like doing incredibly well. He's going on tour. He's very happy. He's well settled. I know a couple of people that know, um, like met his wife and stuff. So it's a very relaxed, relaxed thing. And you know that he's touring, but it's cool when he writes this story about cutting his hair off, wearing a tie, waking up at seven, coming home at five. And I think that's beautiful, not only because of the rhyme that you can hear, obviously, but the idea that he would sacrifice the thing being his hair, right? In some cultures, hair is, is incredibly sacred. But this is the opening two lines is, I cut my hair off, I wore a tie. It's essentially saying I was no longer myself. I woke up at seven and came home at five. And the beauty here is kind of what I call cliche conversion, whereby instead of it being nine to five, he said, I woke up at seven and I came home at five, implying that it's seven till five or obviously nine till five, depending on the travel, right? But I think the beauty of Sam Hunt is that he's able to tell, tell these stories that we understand, but in a brand new way, just that twist. I think Sam Hunt's whole career, if you've listened to this podcast, um, my obsession with him is that he delivers what we want in a way we haven't quite heard. And that just makes him someone that we love. And me personally, it makes him someone that I've just always looked up to. In terms of songwriting, there isn't a better one than Sam Hunt because also he works with Zach Crow, with Shane McAnally, with some amazing writers. But just these first two lines, I cut my hair off, I wore a tie, woke up at seven, came on with five for a while. It's so cool. And even the way he delivers it, he like it's a similar pitch. I'm probably singing a different key, but it's a similar pitch, right? It's kind of throwaway. It's like, oh, I cut my hair off. I wore a tie. I don't care. There's also something to be said about the way that that's sung. Not only the production is amazing and there's the... Uh, 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 that's the kind of 
it's a front-loaded hook, I like to call it. And it just sounds like he's kind of just, you know, humming on the way to work, right? After he's cut his hair off and wore a tie, thinking about better days. So this is the first two lines, right? And this was just me hearing the intro. I was like, what the, what the hell is going on? This is insane. And just listen to the way it's produced as well. But again, these first two lines I'm, I'm really hammering on if you're new to the show, because I really believe in the Nashville payoff. There's a... I mean, particularly, this is literally country music that follows the Nashville payoff and has all of these rules. They're probably doing one, four, five on the chords as well. And again, I think I really believe in that Nashville payoff and the way it works because um, those of you that know the show, they will know the book called Murphy's Laws of Songwriting. I think for me, it's the Bible of songwriting because it's just written really beautifully. It's funny, it's simple, it's clear. So I would highly recommend you pick that up and there should be some links if you wanted to do so and help the show. But Murphy's Laws of Songwriting, one of the biggest things is the Nashville payoff. Or at least that's why I've ascertained from also listening to massive artists like Taylor Swift and all these people that have actually taken it into pop and made it a new thing. The Nashville payoff is very much why I'm still talking about these first two lines because the first two lines are where you establish the idea. This song, so you see, came the closest is the first title. I was like, mm, what does that mean? There's a, there's a rodeo on the front cover. It's like, came the closest to what? You know, you want this cognitive dissonance to pull people in. So your artwork and your title is super important as well. But just listening, I cut my hair off. I wore a tie, woke up at seven, came over five. I was like, hmm, this is it. This is creating questions. So eliciting questions as well is something I always recommend, particularly your first two lines. And again, can you see how much is going into the intro in the first two lines? Like they don't fuck around in Nashville, particularly Sam Hunt. I think he's a master of this. Um, that's the first two lines. And then the rest of the verse is great. For a while I traded whiskey for Miller Lite. And I know your mama calls me polite, Mr. Right. Oh, but that ain't right. Like check out the song. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm murdering it, but I just think it's gorgeous. I traded whiskey, what I love for Miller Lite what's accepted. I know your mama calls me polite. So your family like me, Mr. Right, but that ain't right. And again, the way it's sung, the way he comes in on this, it just sounds like he's kind of given up on life and he sounds sad. So I remember hearing that first verse again, driving like green, beautiful English countryside. I was like, damn, this feels, this feels real. It reminds me of, well, still, right. But all the things that I do, and particularly in my early jobs that I just didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care about any of it. I didn't have my, my own understanding of things, didn't have my own feeling. Or if I did, I actually did have at a very young age knowing what I wanted to do. I was, I knew I wanted to do music and perform and write and help people, but I couldn't do it. I was stuck doing something else for, for other people, you know, and, and it was a good thing. I learned and made money, but you know, all of that emotion came back for me. And that's this shared experience that we talk about. How do you get people in the first two lines? We've talked about the lyrical aspects of it, the extremes, the cliche conversion, the delivery of the vocal as well. But very simply, you want to, you want to hit on a shared theme, shared theme, sorry. I think it's really important. Again, the cliche conversion is really clever because it's not nine to five. People say that um, in a very negative way, but Sam's aware of that and he'll just tune it. So, you know, he, he can say nine to five without saying it. That is the genius. If you can do that, and I'll come up with some strange word for what that means, but essentially it is cliche conversion. And also as a side note, I think when I speak to people a lot, because I do music all the time, that's my thing now, as you're probably sick of hearing on this podcast, but that is my full-time job. That's everything I do. It's everything I'm involved with. But the amount of people I speak to that seem to have some kind of shame or something for having what's called a nine to five, or like, I just, the amount of people I speak to that have like, oh, I had to get a job. I'm like, fucking brilliant. Well done. Get a job that looks after you so you can move into this really hard world of songwriting as well. I had, had that conversation with someone else today in America. He's starting his business and he's got two wonderful kids and he's like, I had to get a job. I'm like, well done good and then it gives you that time and that space and that that safety the security to to move into the world so i can diverge into the into the actual you know content of this episode about people i work with and i'll bring that up later maybe but just this song you see how thick it is and see how many things there are for us to listen to and really pick up on and we haven't even got to the chorus right and and, and again i remember hearing this and just literally going i won't shout on this mic but like just doing a big woo in my car like i love to shout in my car and sing in my car but I heard the chorus, because all I gotta know is what's behind the other door. Never gonna be that straight lace, sunny man and morning you're looking for. No one's ever tied me down to a cloudboard house. Some kids in a bed of roses, but you came the closest. 
I was like, fuck. I heard that. I was like, fuck, this is so good. Again, let's go through why. And I'm sorry for butchering that uh, in terms of lyrics. If you read the lyrics, some of those were wrong. But again, the emotion of it, you go from that verse, that contrast of, wow, yeah, this life sucks. That's what he's singing. That's what he's saying. And that's the way it's produced. And then the chorus is that kind of hope, that realization. And for me, it's very relatable. I've always got to know what's behind the other door. That is such a fucking good lyric. Those two lines, I was like, what the hell did you just say? Because what actually he's doing is going through the back. We call it the ooh versus okay, I've got it. When you get an ooh lyric, when you get an ooh melody, you get an ooh chorus like this, you literally go, what the hell? Because it feels like someone's come into the back of your head and just input something. And you know the feeling, but you don't know where it's all come from at the same time. But it's drawing from your childhood. It's drawing from your frustrations. It's drawing from your appreciation of the vocal. And like that's why it's like, oh, always got to know what's behind the other door. And even just the little run, door it just it puts in right it, it doesn't do too much but it gives enough emotion and i think sam again despite not being a vocalist that's you know sky high in his range every single time he nails his craft which is very often nearly every time i listen to his music in one way or another and when he nails his craft he doesn't need to scream and shout he just fucking smashes it like with the way it's delivered and i really recommend you listen to this song um and the next lines, I'm never going to be that straight-laced Sunday morning man you're looking for. Again, alluding to that Mr. Right thing he dropped in the verse, the kind of wearing your Sunday best, knowing what your dad is going to want to hear, knowing what your mom says. And these are all good things, right? He's not like he's bringing it down because, again, from what I've heard and what I've seen being a huge fan of his and people that have moved around with him, like he's a really, really kind and, and sweet guy, right? So he's going to know what to say to your mama or like how to speak to your dad. But this is the kind of almost like a, an adolescent desperation for like what you really care about. And again, this, this, this really got me as well. Never ever tied me down in a clapboard house with some kids and a bed of roses. Like nobody's ever made me settle down. That's what he's saying. And I think the beauty of Sam Hunt as well is saying clapboard, which would be a building material out in Nashville that's common. And it's unknown to me because we don't use that in France or in England in the same way, or maybe we do, it'd be called chipboard or something. But again, just it just has those little touches of genius of just enough difference to make it feel like a new lyric, but saying so much of what we already know. So that's the cliche conversion again. And again, some kids in a bed of roses. Again, all of these things he probably wants or will have at some point. I don't know. And we all you know, dream about that kind of pretty life. But I think this song is a kind of it's a love song to adolescence, to, to rebellion, to that time when you have to just forget about what's sensible and know what's behind the other door. So I was just, again, I was driving home and that's been my whole life. I've always been the one that's gone, well, what's over there? What does that mean? Could I do that? How do I do this? And constantly, you know, for good reason often as well, like people have not believed in what I'm doing and I've got it wrong, but just needing to know what's behind the other door. Like that's the people that I come from. That's been the story of my family. We just go and do things that are different. We have to go and see what, see it for ourselves. And um, it just really resonated with me. So hopefully I haven't kind of infected the, uh, the idea of the song by just talking about it so much. But just personally, I think again, it's a songwriting thing. This is a technique that if you can tell a story as I've done today as to why something was meaningful to you, hopefully if it's done well enough, that person can also relate to your life. That is the goal of songwriting. That is also what it is to bring people down to that shared feeling. And this is just verse and chorus, man. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Thirteen lines. Thirteen lines, right? So the classic tune, the classic um, even number plus one. You came the closest. And that again, I haven't even talked about the actual payoff. So I cut my hair off. I wore a tie. Woke up at seven. Came home at five. I gave myself away for all these things that people expect of me and then no one's ever tied me down in a clapboard house with some kids in a bed of roses but you came the closest you're just like i don't have those one like like clacks and things or bomb dropping sounds because i don't really think that's this podcast but um just amazing just amazing and I, I can see this as well in genius that sam posted an acoustic demo of came the closest to instagram on june 24th 2021 maybe you can check that out but check this song out because the recording is genius as well like again zach Crow's come in and done an incredible job as always Whew. that's the verse in the chorus and you see how much is packed into I, i'm sure i've missed things as well because we haven't actually looked at the the melodic kind of 
movements, but I think listening to this, you'll be able to do that a little bit for yourself. So again, I'm looking more at the kind of lyric and the structure for now. And I think I'd have to have a listen along and really sit in a bath and hold my chest with some petals of roses to really go into the melody more. But for me, I'm just remembering that experience. So again, as songwriters, is like when people hear your music in their life is really important. You can't always control that, but you can write honestly from how you're experiencing life at this time and, and what you do with that. So verse and chorus, you know, not even a pre, just boom, straight into a chorus. And again, it just feels right. It just feels right, which I'll talk a little bit about atypical structures, things that are slightly different later if we have time, because I'm realizing how long I'm going on this because it's just really good. So again, to keep my promise to the Discord community, this is going to be super technical as much as I can. Let us look at verse two. This is where I nearly crashed my car um, because I just, I just come off this roundabout, coming up to a roundabout and I had always gotta know us beyond the other door I'm never gonna be that straight laced Sunday morning man you're looking for again that never gonna be that straight laced Sunday morning man the the rhythms are they are on point he has sat for hours I'd imagine working all of this out because the real estate in terms of how much space you have in a song is really short especially with a Nashville song it's a slow paced tempo it's three minutes 15 um Again, go on genius.com. Sometimes they absolutely nail it. You've got all the co-writers, you've got the length of the song. You can really understand a bit more about how these songs are put together. But verse two. We never married, cause I never asked. I left the diamond under the glass. Those who like, I nearly crashed my car. I was like, what the, how the, do you, how do you write a lyric that good? And again, it might not seem like much, but we never married because I never asked. I left the diamond under the glass. You've got that school kid quality of rhyme and meter and rhythm. And I think it's really easy to miss how important that can be. But when you have this craft laid on top of lyrical deep vibing to the tits, if that makes any sense to you, and I apologize if it doesn't, it's probably not a show for your kids. But we never married because I never asked. I left the diamond under the glass. You just go like, what the hell? How good is that lyric, right? Why? Because he's never said, I didn't ask you to marry me because I decided to not. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, we never married. You go, okay, wow, why is that? Because I never asked. You go, okay, well, why did you never ask? I left the diamond. Also, you were going to under the glass. Like, what? It says a paragraph in two lines. Again, it's a right hook to the face. I talk about things all the time on this show about, you know, the first two lines and then the last line of the chorus. That is the Nashville payoff. That's what it is. But second verses, if people can get these, you just get so much. Like I was listening, listening to my portfolio today to go to LA and I'm trying to put it all together with James online and we're just like, okay, how do we, how's this going to be heard? How's it going to be perceived? How are they going to listen to? And I realized as well, like, I'd like to work more on my second verses for these professional portfolios and stuff that I'm trying to, trying to put out there and get more work. Because when you hear a verse like this, again, what I've heard from Shane McAnally, who's an incredible writer, check out his interview on And The Writer Is. I think it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant interview. But also he has an interview by Seth um, on YouTube. Seth is a guy out in Nashville. I can't remember the name of his company. But he says that Sam Hunt did uh, Body Like a Back Road, and even a number of his other songs, but particularly Body Like a Back Road, like 14 drafts. You know, like that is the craft we're talking about here. And Sam Hunt, again, is reported to be someone who can make up a song better than most people spend six months writing on. But he still takes the time to make sure that every detail is done. And even you see that like 2021, he'd written this and then he's taken two years to release it because he's found the right way to do it. And I really would like to understand why there is such a pressure subconsciously for people to be putting things out way too often that are not finished. And I had a really good conversation yesterday um, with a new client I'm going to work with about him being impatient. I said, that's fine. We can work at like an advanced pace, but I'm going to really need you to listen when I say that's not right at the end. You know, the creative funneling process, which I just did a video on YouTube about, it's this idea of being really, really like open and kind to yourself, very much the creative energy, the creative and the critic we talk about in the show, very much the creative energy at the start of songwriting. And then slowly over time, you refine that. And at the end, like I said in this call yesterday, like if I don't think that's not 
if I don't think that structure, sorry, is right, or if I don't think that melody is good enough, or that lyric doesn't quite say what you've told me you want it to say, I'm going to tell you. You have to listen and you have to change it. Because when you hear songs like this, Came the Closest by Sam Hunt, wow, the detail, the time, the fine tuning, right? And I think it's so expensive to be an independent artist. It's so expensive to be out there. It's, in, it's very expensive, obviously, to be a major label artist, right? So if you guys are, are you getting your first songs, your first portfolios together, like it's okay to sweat over things and make sure that they are as good as you can get them. Never perfect because it doesn't exist, but as good as you can get them. And I think this kind of dovetails nicely into to what I want to talk about next. And, and just because I can't leave Sam Hunt without saying thank you, like this dude has completely changed my life just by listening to his music. And similar to Taylor Swift, because they're people that write songs at such a standard that you can learn from consistently if you know how to listen. Um, there is also a bridge on this song, but I will let you discover came the, came the Closest for Yourself by Sam Hunt. I just think it's a, it's a fucking masterpiece. And again, sorry if you've got kids listening. Um, might not be for them. But I'm going to move on now because I want to talk about what I call lessons from the sessions, whereby I go through some of the like aha wow moments that I have when working with some of you wonderful people. And this is... Philippa Cooper, I remember she contacted me when I was out in Australia this year and we started working just after that and the progress is ridiculous and it's nothing to do with me. Absolutely nothing to do with me. This woman is intense. Like once a month, works with me, has a million questions, she really listens, she really cares and um, that's something as well, mindset. For her, I said to her like, you learn so quick and it came from a funny conversation because I remember playing her very first demo she sent me in that, that email when I was out in Australia. We played on help desk and Emily and I kind of went through it and talked about some of the things we, we thought were great, some of the things we could, we could look at working on. And Philippa turned up on a call recently and said, I hate that song. I was like, good. That means you are progressing. And I think it's a brilliant thing. And again, Philippa and I had this, I, I really, really enjoy my sessions um, with her. They're only once a month, but I enjoy every moment. And I actually learn a lot. Every time we work together, I have something and actually there's this rewriting checklist that I've tried to circulate a bit more to the Discord community and people that I work with. That came from a conversation with Philippa asking me a question going, hey, how do I approach rewriting? And I went, oh shit, yeah, cool. This is exactly how you can think about it. And I made this huge list and you can, you can grab that or email me if you want that. Um, or jump in the Discord as well. It is in there pinned in one of the channels. But when I talked to Philippa, I learned stuff and I, I really enjoyed... This, this last session, which is why I'm talking about it, because her mindset was, well, of course I'm going to listen to what you say because I want to learn. Like I'm like, not everyone does that. Not everyone needs that too. And that's the beauty of coaching is like yesterday, I really like adapting to what people need and taking on new challenges. Um, like someone I'm working with very soon, they wanted a completely different approach. And I went, hell yeah, let's do it. They thought I'd be upset because I have a particular standard, a particular... Um, a standard of working, sorry, um, of a particular method. I was like, no way. Like this method I've learned and bled and sweat for can be adapted in any way that's helpful to you. So again, with Philippa, going back to that, I just really enjoy working with her and talking to her because she's not afraid of putting in hours in between our sessions and coming with questions. And you know what? I think the secret is to her progress is she's willing to screw things up. She's willing to get it wrong and willing to tell me that she's really struggling with this thing. I'm very frustrated. This is pissing me off. I can't get this. How do I do this? And honestly, for me, it's a harder session because I have to go, okay, cool. How do I make this make sense? But a couple of things. We talked about the grid before, which is how I think about, if you can imagine a grid going left to right, so lines going left to right, lines going up and down. This came about because Philip and I kept having this issue in sessions whereby she'd bring a song and it was so close to being in key. It was so close to being the right BPM. It's so close to the chords being right. But because none of it was right. Oh, sorry. Because one thing was wrong, it felt like nothing was right. So the idea of the grid is that very often, if you overlay something on a grid and it doesn't line up, you think everything's out. When actually all you need to do is maybe just get the BPM right or just get the key right. Because then suddenly everything else clicks into place if you then follow the key. And we came up with this idea of, of the grid, but then anchoring the rhythm and the key was an advancement of this on our last session. I want to bring that up. And what that means is 
when you're writing a song and you've got ideas maybe in the shower or voice notes or things you've written down or things you've heard, sometimes they're not in the same key. That's okay. Particularly when I'm working with people, in fact, even professional artists, yeah, they will have things that are in like maybe two keys or something slightly out of key. And it's not until you put it to chords or you put it to rhythm that you can hear that. So this is what I've been working on with Philippa and she's been incredible progress from her because she's just putting hours and hours and hours in um, and being very open. So I appreciate working with her because I learn how these things work. And then if it doesn't work, she'll tell me and I make it better. So her progress has been amazing because she's just been able to, to, to really work hard on finding keys, to establishing rhythm, to then building from there and writing songs. And her lyrics have always been brilliant and her ideas have always been brilliant. Her vocals, beautiful voice as well, but it's just finding a way to put that on the grid, to anchor it with rhythm, to anchor it with melody so that then everything else makes sense. And then we can focus on the fine tuning of, okay, cool. Is this exactly what we want? And the next thing I thought about with her was called atypical structure, which means simply not normal structure. And again, I can also be guilty of of being stuck in my kind of methods because I want to make sure, like Ralph Murphy, people get the fundamentals of how you can think about structuring songs to be most effective, how you can think about doing lyrics, how you can think about writing melodies. But what was cool is Philippa had this demo. And again, it sounded great. It read very well in terms of lyrics because sometimes I just listen because that's what people do. You know, not everyone has the lyrics in front of them. But when I heard it, I was like, wow, the progress on this. There's no surprise because of the work she puts in. Um, but I love the structure. I said to her, the atypical structure is that it didn't have a pre, for example. It just went verse, chorus. I know it sounds silly, but again, that's an example like Sam Hunt, verse, chorus. But very often it's great to write pre's because they can have this beautiful way of taking people away. And I learned that at Rainbowwood with Ed Graves when I did our first couple sessions. He would always be able to create, you know, use a wonderful synth or a particular little um, chord substitution on the verses from the verses, sorry, to the pre, that chord sub would come in and the pre sound like a different planet. I just remember hearing that and going, wow, that is how pre should be written in terms of the, the approach. And then with Philippa, no pre, but then her bridge was amazing. Or again, the way she'd written it was like, there was another verse snuck in, but it didn't feel like it. And I said, this is amazing. Like, I don't even want to label these structures because, yeah, and, we, and we did for the sake of, the, for the session, sometimes I put A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It can also be a great way to write songs whereby you're not feeling like you're fixed to a certain thing if you want to get more experimental. But the atypical structure and the way she'd written, I was just, I was just super, super impressed. And, and it was great because she'd taken it upon herself to work that hard and listen to the show and just do as much as she can. So when we come together, it's very much me kind of going, okay, cool. This is what you work on next. So I love working with Philippa. She's, 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 um, she's brilliant and she's a really funny person as well, which helps. But she's willing to, to kind of go past the humor and actually really be honest and go, shit, you know, how does this work? How do I get better? And the crazy cool thing about her is not only, I mean, there's a couple of things actually I could probably take a whole episode to talk about her as well because she's been really helpful to me um, making me better and giving you guys resources as well to use. But I think repetition. It's really funny. I think my biggest blind spot is forgetting to tell people to repeat things. And obviously repetition, it comes up naturally and there's so many songs I have that are repetition. But Philippa had just done this incredibly wonderful balancing act of having enough repetition for it to be effective, but never too much. So I just kind of sat back and went, yeah, you've smashed that. That's really good. Like repetition is something that is so important. Um, and another thing, because there's so many from her, but the bandwidth of the first line. Again, if you're new to the show, what that means is how much information people can take in on your very first lyric. And she hadn't balanced it actually that well the first time, but then we had this great conversation about, hey, what do you think if we did this? Or in fact, she offered it to me and I said, yeah, cool. That's the idea. You want to make sure the bandwidth of that first line is not too much that people want to, you know, they don't get it or they don't keep going or they do keep going, but they don't get it, which could be worse sometimes. Um but also not, not so little that, yeah, there's nothing to, to give people. So she had this wonderful balance of enough information and enough deep diving to get people involved, but then listen further to the songs. So I'm convincing her to try and send another song when she's kind of got to that level of progress she's happy with so that even you guys can hear how, how well she's done and, and how much work she's put in. And I think the most important thing has been amazing for her is that she started to play live and sing live beautiful voice started playing in bands and doing showcases and getting out there and and truly as much as i love my job i'm 
far, far happier when I see people take their skill and turn it into something positive in their lives in terms of relationships and learning a craft and getting out there and doing something very different from their job. So Philippa is awesome. And I think the way that she thinks about songwriting is, is something that I am learning from and equally might be very good for you guys to adopt if you can in terms of working really hard, but working really hard on the right things and also working on the things that are relevant to you because it's very easy to get lost in production or marketing and all these things that are further down the line than just having an incredible song. So again, thanks to Philippa for letting me talk about these things um, to you guys because I think, again, she's a star. I, I, love, I love working with her and it's always very emotional. So I try not to cry again. Um, and the idea of having fun, like I said, knowing how to knowing how to have fun while you're working really hard towards something that's meaningful to you is, is one hell of a balancing act. So if you guys can achieve that, go for it. And and we did mention earlier, I've talked about it before, but the grid, that, I, that again, that idea of kind of rhythm and, and key signature being so important and allowing you to then build everything off it and lock in reminds me of something else. So there's another wonderful human being called Mike Lemons um, from Canada. And we did a couple of sessions together and I just, again, really enjoy it. I mean, you meet people who are doing such different things in different parts of the world and you connect over songwriting and trying to push people to, to create something that they're really proud of. And I really, really enjoyed my time with Mike and he left me with this idea. It's called a, I'm going to call it building the wall. And we were kind of laughing about it and I was asking him, Hey, is it cool if I put this idea together and, and share on the show? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Cause Mike, Mike's a wonderful human being, but what was happening is that he was writing these wonderful songs that again, similar to Philippa, it's kind of a bit, a few chords here and then the lyric and then a little bit of the melody and then a little bit of the production. It was kind of like, great, you are very good at all of these things because again, sometimes stunning, you might've heard one of his tunes actually on the show, but when he gets it right, it can be stunning. But then if you don't get enough of it right or enough of the right things in the right place, you struggle. And that's why I thought, ah, let's think of this like a wall. If you just take, if you guys have worked with bricks, you'll understand this. If you haven't, um, just look at your house. It all makes sense. But imagine you're building a wall. Okay, how do we build a structured wall? How do we build a strong wall? Sorry, and it's by structuring it. And in this analogy, the wall is your song, okay? And each brick is an element that you choose to put in, be that, you know, rhythm, chords, lyrics, melody, production, fine tuning. All of these things are part of the structural integrity of a great song. Because a good wall is a strong wall, right? So I said to him, hey, should I build the wall, putting one or two bricks down, then putting one above it, and then two on top of that, and one on top of that? If it's not windy, that's fine. You can have some really beautiful structures that look exactly like that if you go all over the world. There's a Nordic tradition of, um, Scandinavian tradition, sorry, of, of building kind of rock, you know, asymmetrical rock sculptures near beautiful views. Not relevant. That's not what we're trying to do for these songs. Because as I said, if any wind comes, it, it, it falls apart and that wind would be someone listening, right? Because people want that kind of stability and that enjoyment from a song. They want a song that can support them in a funny way. I've not thought of it like that, but I listen to music because I really enjoy it and it, and it makes me feel closer to myself or remind me of something as you heard at the start of this show. But building a wall when you're writing songs is, is this. You take the first layer. If you want to call that the chords, or maybe you hear a bass line or a melody first. Whatever you hear first, even if it's lyrics, right? We start with free writing very often. If you're building a wall, your song, you can build it in kind of any order you want, but it does need a certain amount of things. So let's say you come up first with the chords. If you have one chord, two chord, three chord, four chord, five, six, right? Maybe you don't need six, but what you do need is a whole layer established of chords. So that bottom layer, whatever you build on top of it, it is solid. And with chords, it's finding the right ones. And it's, again, I'll talk about that in just a moment with a different client. But assuming you found the right chords, you put them all in a line. So you secure that first layer. And again, if this sounds stupid, fine, but just make sure you remember it or pause this and go and write a tune if this is inspiring you. But then instead of just building one brick upon the other, it's kind of, it's enjoyable, right? To kind of do a bit of this, bit of that, bit of this, bit of that. Honestly, if you can get your chords down, then you could think about your melodies. Then you could think about adding lyrics. Then you can think about adding production. Then you could think about harmonies, blah, 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 blah. All of these layers, right, that go into a great song. You even extend that to say, you know, marketing and playing live shows, right? But 
Just in terms of constructing a song, I really highly recommend, having seen a lot of people do a bit of this, bit of that, and done a bit of this, bit of that myself, if you've got to something, if it's chords, if it's lyrics, it's melodies, if it's rhythm, and I teach this a lot in my process as well, the kind of creative funneling process, finish that thing first. Make it as good as you can and stable for something else to be put on top of it. You can always go back later should you need to, right? But it's this idea of giving yourself a chance to build upon what you've established. Because very often, if you do a bit of this, bit of that, bit of this, you can't build a song on that because it isn't enough established. But you get an idea to a certain point. This is also the ABC stem writing, right? We talked about this on the show, whereby instead of focusing on trying to write a three-minute song, try and focus on writing 90 seconds that you love. And actually, really, it's just a verse, a pre, and a chorus, which is three melodies, three ideas, three sections, A, B, C. And from there, you can check whether you like the song, whether it's effective, whether you've got enough contrasting, all of these indicators as to whether it'd be a good song. But then also, you're not wasting time, should you not like it. It's kind of similar to building this wall, this analogy is that get your foundations in to be able to check if you can add something on top of it. Because you don't want to get to a certain point in the wall and go, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. That's a really bad idea. Not the right genre, not the right lyric, not the right thing. No, start to be smart and build from a base. And that's this idea of the grid as well. So you can think of it like a grid or you can think of it like a wall. But those analogies, I think, can be really helpful for you guys going forward. So I talked about finding chords. And I think this will be the last part that I talk about today. But Tyler, 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 original, original songwriting client from the very first birth of everything that I do today before the podcast, very first stuff, you know, before Fiverr even or from Fiverr, first songwriting client. So Tyler has a very, very special place to me. And I think by extension, because of him, everything that I do now going out into the world with this coaching and with this podcasting. So Tyler's amazing. I think Tyler has this unique problem. And I think we all have it if we accept it. It's this idea of fear of failure. And I remember Philippa spoke a bit about this as well. And, and I have it all the time, not just in work, but in personal life and professional life as well. It's this fear of failure, this idea that if I don't do it, it can't be wrong. And that's not to say that Tyler doesn't write stuff because this is actually about how he has written some great things. Um, and again, I had his permission to talk about this stuff. Um, but it goes a bit like this. He'd written an idea, a first draft. And he brought it to the session. He was kind of like quite tentative and very self-effacing and not much confidence to it because he's just such a lovely guy. He doesn't realize how good he is at writing tunes, writing songs. And I saw the first draft. I was like, brilliant. Like, what, how long did that take you? He was like, oh, not long at all. This is just my first draft because I was looking at it like, okay, cool. Let's edit this, do this. As though we'd spent a lot of time on it. He's like, no, no, I just came up with this today. I was like, awesome. So what, why is it? Where's this, where's this fear coming from? You know, that loss of faith is what I see. And I kind of wrote a few things like he's very capable of great first drafts, but stops early on the journey because he's not really, you know, is it at the standard? I'm like, what standard? You're writing amazing songs. You have incredible ideas. And he's a very creative person. And again, I have to talk to him about building the wall because giving people a structure is pretty much what I do for a job. It's giving people a structure, being accountable to them, whether it's in coaching or whether it's in sessions with artists. I am looking at where you are and going, try this, try that you might need this here because I'm aware of where they are and what they might need to get to the next place. Building bridges for people is essentially what we're doing. But when I see Tyler, he's, he's uniquely talented and very emotional guy like me and very much able to, to feel what's happening in the world, to write it down and reflect it beautifully. But there's sometimes this loss of faith, which means he'll abandon ideas or abandon that kind of difficult path to, to getting to the next stage of creativity through the criticism. And I just think it's so human and, I, and I, I saw so much of myself in that idea of like, oh, but if I don't do it, it can't be wrong. And I do it all the time and I'm trying to get better at not holding myself back and just falling on the floor a bit or falling forward, which is that, that trope we've all heard of. But I just think someone like Tyler, you know, incredible, incredible ideas, incredible songs, incredible lyrics for those first drafts. And if you guys are in the Discord, you can see actually what a couple of people uh, get out in, in like 10 minutes or something is really funny. It's embarrassing for me. It's like how good these things are. Um, no need to coach, you know, no need to coach at all in, in a lot of cases. So it's great to see that and people inspiring each other and, and trying again. And I'm seeing the Discord, this kind of, uh, Scott Rustin actually, I'll call him out. 
he's the, he's the culprit of writing songs in like four minutes and posting them and it's they're just so good that everyone's like oh, i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try this and I'm, I'm really enjoying seeing people kind of come together and do that but going back to tyler is that he has these great ideas and then it's just about sitting down and going okay how do i make this better it's that rewriting aspect and um we had a talk and he'd written this beautiful section and i was like that's a bridge he went yeah i thought it was as well it's like, well, why didn't you put it there? You know, it's great. You know, it's going to work there. So just, just put it there, have faith in yourself. And, um, he's incredibly good at taking criticism as well. I think most people are not, you know, and it's, it's a case of us growing and getting better at taking criticism. I struggle. I was actually doing a live feedback on my portfolio stuff for, for going to LA with James and just had to sit there on Zoom and go, okay, okay, it's okay. Just let him do it. And, and the way James gave feedback was incredibly easy to follow. And I just did exactly what he said. Because I, I watched that live reception of my music and my ideas based on what we're doing. And he went, mm, not that, this, oh, these are amazing, great. And suddenly I was like, well, I actually also agree with you. Like with Tyler, he knew that was a bridge. I knew that was probably the best order for the portfolio and what to include and what not to include. But sometimes we stop ourselves. And that's why accountability can be great. Friends can be great. But I just wanted to, to talk about Tyler because it's... It's something we all suffer with. And like I said, Tyler's a really special guy to me and is very, very important for this podcast and, and, and indeed my business. So shouting him out in the best light. And he said something like printing off your first draft. I thought that's such a good idea. Like imagine if we all did that, that your first draft, you go, okay, cool. And then you just print it off. You take a screenshot, you put it somewhere. And then similar to Philippa, you come back later and see what you've been able to do with that first draft and turn it into this beautiful piece of, this beautiful audio asset that goes out into the world and, become something you sing for 20 years or whatever that's awesome like enjoy that why can't we get some more feedback and some more celebration i've talked about earlier in this show um in the history of the show celebrating when you write a song like really enjoy it like john mayer talks about there's no better feeling of going to dinner after you've written the song you're like yeah i'm the man and, and you know all the marketing comes and then people have thoughts and maybe it doesn't work maybe it does or like live it doesn't work or maybe it does and all these things can affect it afterwards but just just like tyler says like print off your first drafts and when you finish you can go fuck yeah that's a great song i'm proud of myself um so it's it's about understanding what comes next and i think another little note we had and i have a final one that, that refers back to kind of finding chords and the grid and actually all of the things we talked about today will be a good way to finish on that, that Tyler reminded me of. But also something I want to share just before that is when you are feeling that fear of failure, having a process, which is this whole podcast, having a process and having a tool that you can just pick up and rely on. You have this, we all have this invisible toolkit. I remember I worked with um, Kayla Roldan because uh, of Julian Honinger. Julian's amazing. Check him out. She said, oh, you've, it's as if you've revealed to me my own invisible toolkit that was here the whole time. And I went, exactly. That is exactly it. And I think I used to work with this guy when I was doing grounds work, which is physical maintenance of sports pitches, right? And we just finished this really hard section of the day. And he was, as soon as we got back, we were kind of like, you know, grabbing a sandwich, having a drink. And he was just standing there looking at the pitch and going, so if this happens, what would be next? We're like, what are you talking about? like well if the weather turns this way what would you do it's like well i've just i've just got back he's like you got to think about it special forces planning he called it which is really funny and lee padrick's a great human being but he was also saying you know you don't have to obviously take a rest but this idea is the same in songwriting it's like well if i'm in this situation what would i do what would be the next step should i run into this problem this is stuff you can do outside of sessions this is stuff you can practice like philippa like everyone that i work with and even myself when i work with people I get better at writing by virtue of seeing how other people approach it. And it's all within the same process. It's all about the order you do it. And again, like the wall today, it's very much about what you want to do first and the grid. And I think often people, when I work with them, think that it has to be a certain way. And I go, absolutely not. I work in all kind of aspects of sessions. I come to people at different stages of their career, different amount of hours they put in and different outputs they want and different approaches to starting, different approaches to finishing. End of the day, it's always the same process that we all go through in your own way. So finding your own way through that, having your own tools, having your own toolkit is really important. And the last thing I want to leave you with is something Tyler reminded me of because we'd he'd come up with this great, incredible draft of lyrics and melody, but didn't have chords yet. And I always see Tyler kind of get a bit nervous. He's like, oh, I got to find chords. He's like, I'm not sure which ones are the right ones. And like, it, I was like, have you tried any yet? 
went, oh, he goes, what do you mean? Like, because it's a, literally as silly as it sounds, sit down and just find them out. It's that fear of failure stopping us doing anything, which is the Stephen Pressfield war of art. Resistance is, is everywhere. You know, it stops you doing things in such small ways that kind of trip you up in very, very big ways too. They stop you doing things you're really, really going to be proud of, things that are really important to you. So I told him a story about being, uh, I was writing with Sorel Urelli. Check her out. She's, she's an awesome human being and I truly learn from her every time I see her. I told her she's, she's mental and she makes me think in such different ways. I loved seeing her. But um, I sort of caught up with her in London. We were writing at her flat. It's very sweet. Um, her mum was there as well, bless her. She'd like broken her foot on the way upstairs. It was very strange. And the dog was a landlord. But that's just classic Sorel. So again, I love that because it's different. But we were writing a song. She had a voice note. She'd come home from the train and she'd sung this song, which was brilliant, into a voice note, like in the time it takes to walk down the street. So I was like, okay, amazing. So then what we had to do was I had to transcribe the lyrics that she likes and kind of create structures again, going not verse, pre, chorus, because knowing her, she'd be like, oh, that's not that. That's not this. I'm like, okay, cool. This is A, this is B, this is C, this is D. Because I have to be flexible. I want to not take away from her creativity because too much criticism, too much need for change and having to communicate things that are pretty obvious if you think about it, can take away from that creative process. So we had these lyrics transcribed. I thought, cool. And um, bless her mom. She's so funny. She was actually, she shouted out the chorus from the couch and it was brilliant. And I was like, okay, no, that's, you should definitely listen. That's a great, great, that's a great, great title. Um, but we were playing and eventually we got to a point whereby we had a transcript of the melody and the lyrics in a sheet. As I do with anyone, I was free writing and then transcribing. It's exactly the same process in professional sessions. That's the stuff I do for myself or working with clients. But it got to a point whereby she went, okay, cool. What are the chords? There's a piano in the middle of the room. and I don't really play or haven't played in a long time. I play guitar, but left-handed. So I never have an opportunity to play instruments. But she was, this is the thing that happens when you put yourself in pressure situations, but in the right way with the right people, you fail forward. So I went, cool, I'll find them. And I just sat down. And this came from that, that thought I had with Tyler because he was talking about, you know, what if I get it wrong? What if I don't have the right cause? I was like, it's okay, it's me and you. But equally, it's more important about how you think about your own creative process and how you sit down and, and beat resistance because resistance, resistance stops us all, especially me, stops us all going for the things that re we really want to do. Not just talking about songwriting, I'm talking about bigger things in my life that I've told myself I don't want to do. I told myself that I need to wait to think about big decisions, but really you do them and it makes sense because it's another decision. And I remember Arini Mando, who you'll hear on the podcast, you may well already have done so if I've talked about her. She said, don't worry about C, get from A to B and C will appear. I was like street poetry, dropped the mic, smashed it. But back to this, I was sat there. I had no idea what the chords were, but I knew in my head, the grid, the wall, there's a certain relationship between chords whereby Again, we talked about it in Nashville, one, four, five. They talk about naming chords as numbers as opposed to actually just chords because they understand the relation. There's only so many chords in each key. So in my head, I was like, okay, cool. Before the fear of failure stops me, I'm just going to press a note. I got it wrong. I got it wrong about 25 times. And I could feel Sorrel like, she said it before. She's so funny. She's like, are you, are you a producer? Do you play keys? before when I've like tried to muddle but I was like I'll get there and then I went okay I'll look for the bass note in the left hand and she was singing and I knew the melody anyway and she really wasn't upset she just wanted that creative process to keep going that's all you need to do just keep trying found the bass note there it is and then oh there's another one and suddenly when you find one this grid process you find the others because what she's sung is in a key and if it's not in a key I'll tell her I'll be like that's out of key we ignore that. We bring it back into key with this lick or whatever. Then I had the bass notes. I'm like, okay, cool. And that's this in the right hand. And then I started doing the triads, the pop claw, as I've heard it called, which is which is brilliant. You know, checked out the Sheeran Studios, Max Martin, Dennis Pop documentaries. They talk about the pop claw. Where you take three fingers like a claw and just put them on the piano and you get a chord. And essentially I was doing that with a bit of bass. And after, what, five minutes of uncomfortableness and me thinking I've failed, there we go. We were writing tunes. We were writing the song and I had, okay, wow, this is beautiful. We come up with this gorgeous chorus and it makes me think I actually need to message her for next time because she's producing these songs pretty soon. But I just, I just loved it. And then because we had solid chords, again, I knew where we could go for the pre. I knew where we could go for the next section. And then when it came to the chorus, which her mum shouted out the lyric for, we just went big because we, we'd written the song really beautifully kind of 
lower in melody based on the based on the chords and then i knew that'd be such good headspace and we played with the key again i have no confidence on piano I, if someone said me said to me now do it i was like no way but i was doing it then because there was a pressure to do it and i was learning we're moving the key going right this is it this is it so then when we hit the chorus it just came out it's huge and I, I still have the recording somewhere but um we're going to work on that tune and it'll come out at some point and i'll share that when it does but just the process of sitting down and going fuck i might get this wrong i might get this really wrong it's on the line who cares you know who cares been talking to Daniele recently he's been on the show as well wonderful human being he goes oh fuck what really matters but you know is it really important no it's okay and even with Sorrel like I said if I get something wrong we just laugh we're like oh I thought you knew that no sweat and but she's just like next thing next thing next thing she's an amazing creative machine so it doesn't matter who cares if I get the chords wrong it's just about oh I'll get there eventually and you do you get there eventually if you understand there's a relationship between chords and there's only 12 notes. There's only so many things you can do. Um, but there we go. That is today because I could keep going. Stu Neal, Emily Torman, Pascal Schultz, they will be coming up in the next lessons from the session because I've promised them that I will talk about them and they're wonderful people. Um, but that's what I have time for today because Sam, Sam Hunt derailed me. And... I hope that is what people ask for because I've really tried to make sure we're looking at kind of a very technical side of songwriting and I'll continue to do so as we go forward. But if you've enjoyed this episode, then please let me know. You should be able to leave a comment or below this. Or reach out via email. And again, I just want to say thank you, actually. I think it's a really appropriate time to say thank you. But I hear from people all over the world. I get to talk to people from all over the world. I get to work with people from all over the world. I get to travel all over the world because of the people that I work with. And also the, the business I've been able to create working with incredible songwriters and people like you who are kind enough to invest themselves and their time um, into working with me to, to get their projects done. And I've realized I'm more like a songwriting project manager these days. And that's a role I absolutely adore. And got back from the UK to work with, working with incredible artists and meeting great people, collecting interviews. And I'll be going to Paris on Monday to see Elise Mason finish her tour with Ed Graves playing. It's like, it's a dream to say, you know, people I've met through this podcast to see them realizing things live and, and having careers based on some of the songs or the connections. And Ed is, is like a God to me. You know, he's just, we cried and laughed as soon as we saw each other recently in London. And um, it's just a blessing to be able to have, this life because of people like yourselves who who allow me to, to have that so i wanted to say thank you and i'm back in the uk soon as well doing really really cool things and obviously seeing family like i'm really lucky to be able to have some work but also like seeing my brother and talking about things that we all find mundane but to my brother is incredibly special like going back to the uk and, and seeing my family and meeting actually meeting amazing people like the session that will be set up in a couple of weeks in the UK because of uncle, my uncle introducing me to someone that he knows and actually incredible band that I want to work with and everything's fallen into place and talking to them later today. So thank you. That's what I like to say. And I'm a huge nerd for songwriting and I appreciate being able to talk about that. And hopefully it's, it's useful to you guys. If it's not, let me know. And if it is, I hope you already paused this episode and you went and wrote a song. So have an incredible day. I'll be cracking on with my madness and doing my best to bring you useful insights and practical tips so that you guys can change your lives as well. Thank you very much and I'll speak to you very soon.